0: Well, you can remain standing as we come to our preaching passage for today. We're going through the book of Colossians, in case you haven't been here. We're now at Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 2, going to verse 6. So if you can turn there or look on these screens, hear the word of the Lord for us today. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. This is God's word for us today. You may sit down. Well, let's come to the Lord in prayer as we seek to understand his word together. Father in heaven, we are so dependent upon you. We need you to feed us from your word. Help us to understand what you're saying to us today. We ask for your Spirit's work in our lives Lord, you know us, you have made us, so speak to us now, we pray in Christ's name, amen. I wonder when the last time was that you just felt overwhelmed with life, Might be right now. (laughs) You know the feeling, you've got this long to-do list, you've got all these things undone, you've got projects at work, you've got projects at school, you've got friends that you have not kept up with, that you are thinking, oh, yeah, I need to call that person. I need to do this or that. And on top of that, the holidays are coming, and so you're starting to feel the pressure. I mean, I think they start decorating for Christmas around September nowadays. It's it's crazy. And so when we come to church and we're coming to hear a message from God's Word, sometimes we can feel like our to-do list is so long. And now I hear something from God's Word, and here's just two more things that I gotta do, two other things that I'm not doing. But that is not the way God has intended for us to live the Christian life. The Christian life is not a to-do list to complete or a not to-do list. The Christian life is not a to-do list but a cultivation of a relationship, a relationship with the Savior of the world. And once we make that paradigm shift from a to-do list in the Christian life to a relationship that we get to be a part of, that we get to cultivate, the burden in our Christian life starts to be removed and the joy follows. And so that is my hope and our prayer for us today as we come to two more commands. We've come to a lot of commands here in the book of Colossians. It's like, oh man, two more I'm still trying to put off, put on, all that kind of stuff from a couple weeks ago. But God here has given us these commands for our good because he wants us to cultivate this relationship. He wants us to become more like him. And as we've been going through this book of Colossians, for the first three chapters, Paul's focus has been upon who Jesus is. He's the creator and sustainer of all things. He is the savior of the world. And what Jesus has done, he has redeemed us. He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness to, the, to his own kingdom. He has forgiven our sins. He has counted us not guilty before him. He has given us a new identity. And so Paul has given us that framework, and then he has showed us, well, what does it mean to live outside, out of that identity that we've been given in Christ? He said, well, it means put to death whatever belongs to your old nature. Those things like sexual immorality and impurity and all those things. Take off the remnants of the old nature. Anger, rage, malice, all that kind of stuff. And put on the new, the new nature. Gentleness, holiness, love. Put those those things on. And now, at the end of chapter 4, or at the beginning here of chapter 4, Paul is shifting our attention, away from ourselves, and he is giving us a vision for others, for outreach, of how we can be a witness in the world. Because we need to be reminded that Jesus is in the business of redemption. He is in the business of taking what is broken and making it whole. We come to Jesus not as perfect people, but we come as we are. And he and his loving kindness just shapes and fashion us into the likeness of his son. And once we have been changed like this, once we have been made new, he graciously includes us in his mission in the world, that we could be change agents to others around us. And so the text before us this morning is calling us to act. It's calling us to act in light of what Jesus has done for us, but the overarching point about the passage is not really about us. It's about the Lord. The core message for us today from this passage is this, that the Lord empowers gospel advance. It is the Lord who empowers gospel advance. And with that main theme in mind, this passage gives us two commands, two ways that we can get in line with what the Lord is doing and respond to that. And so we have two commands in the passage, and these are the two main points of our message First, how do we contribute to this gospel advance? First, devote yourself to prayer. Devote yourself to prayer. That's in verses 2 to 4 in our passage. And second, walk in wisdom toward outsiders or unbelievers. That's in verses 5 to 6. So let's first consider what does it mean to contribute to gospel advance by devoting ourselves to prayer. We all know what it means to devote ourselves to something. Think about... If you're devoted to work, that means you're gonna get up early. You're gonna give your best effort. You're gonna do whatever you need to do, spending time or extra time uh, on the weekends or whatever to do what you need to do because you're devoted to work. If you're devoted to your family, that means you're going to plan family vacations. You're going to stay in touch with your family if they're here or around the world you're going to spend a lot of time with them if you're devoted to your family. Some people are, on a lighter side, are devoted to entertainment. So you may be devoted to a Netflix show, or a sports game, or a video game, and if you're devoted to these things, it's amazing how you'll stay up late to do that, all hours of the night sometimes, just to devote yourselves to this form of entertainment. Thinking of being devoted to something, we've got a man in our church who is devoted to running. A couple years back, he ran four 100-mile races in one summer. So, not just one 100-mile race, which most of us would say, like, why would you do that? (laughs) Uh, But four of them in one summer. That's like in the two-month period, two, three-month period. So, to give you some perspective, how long is... 100 miles, that's like running from here. If I just took off, like Forrest Gump, you know, to run, it would be like from here to Milwaukee on foot. And so to do this, he had to change his sleep habits. He had to change his dietary habits. He had to form a team around him. And yeah, by the way, he did have to run quite a bit. (laughs) Just a lot of time running. Well, the point is this. When you're devoted to something, it takes a high priority in your life, in your thoughts, in your actions, how you spend your time. And here in verse 2 of Colossians 4, we are called to devote ourselves, not to work, not to our family, not to entertainment, not to exercise, but to devote ourselves to prayer. And here it's translated, continue steadfastly in prayer. Some of your translations might say, devote yourself to prayer. Elsewhere in Romans 12, the same word, be constant in prayer. The point is this, that this is a call for all Christians to obey. This is not a command for the super spiritual. It's not just like the apostles, professional Christian, people that you think are like way down the road. This is a call for all of us, and if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are called to be devoted to prayer. Hope Fellowship, as a group, we are are called to be devoted to prayer as a church. The normal Christian life is a life that's devoted to prayer. Well, why would God give us this command? It seems seems kind of hard to do, Well, he gave it to us, I believe, because we need this to live the Christian life. We need to be devoted to prayer in order to live in the way that he has called us to live, in order to be changed in the way he wants us to be changed. Because, you see, if we're going to walk in Christ, if we're going to set our minds on the things above, and and if we're going to put off the remnants of the old sinful nature and put on our new self, then we have to be devoted to prayer. We must be devoted devoted to prayer. Well, sometimes we think about prayer in a very abstract sense. We kind of think, well, you know, there's power in prayer. Or prayer works. Prayer doesn't work. Jesus works. (laughs) Jesus works in response to our faithful prayers, talking to him. There's a man named Tom Nettleton. He works for Voice of the Martyrs. And he rightly said in a recent... Gospel Coalition article, there is power in prayer, not because of the words we say, but because of who hears our prayers. Who hears our prayers? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so our call to devote ourselves to prayer is really a call to devote ourselves to him. That's what that is. There's a general principle that we become like those that we are around. Some of you kids, if you've been around others for like a weekend or maybe had a sleepover or something, you'll you'll realize that if you spend a lot of time with another kid, this happens to adults too. But you'll start to like talk like them, start to do some mannerisms that look like them. I always find it fascinating for couples who have been married for fifty plus years; they start to look like one another. <laughs> you know, this this principle affirms what's going on in uh, Proverbs 12:20? It says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. So if we apply this to our prayer life, whoever walks with Jesus becomes like Jesus. We become like him. We begin to look more like him as we spend time with him. Spend time with him in prayer by talking with him, by listening to his voice as he speaks to us through his word and his spirit. Friends, we need to be reminded that God did not design prayer for himself. God has no need. He has no lack. He he is not missing something. Prayer is for us, that we might be changed. When we come into his presence, that we can be changed, that our burdens can be lifted, that we can become, uh, be made new. So as we think to apply this command today, I wonder what barriers are just floating in your mind. I know there's barriers in your mind. What's preventing you from becoming devoted to prayer? Perhaps deep down, you really don't think prayer does work. You really don't think Jesus hears, or maybe you really don't feel like you are dependent. You've got a good job, you're bright enough. See, Things seem to be working. Why, why do I need to devote myself to prayer? Maybe that's one of the barriers. Well, whether you acknowledge it or not, you are dependent upon the Lord for everything. We learned that earlier in Colossians. <laughs> even the very breath, we're even just held together by the Lord Jesus. Every moment is a gift from him, whether we acknowledge it or not. And prayer along with God's word and applying God's word, is the primary way for you to abide in Christ and to grow as a Christian. So if you're cutting off this part of the Christian life, you're cutting off God's growth plan for your life. It's a great grace that he's given the ability to come to him. But perhaps also, maybe that's not your, your deal, perhaps you think that a devotion to prayer is just going to happen. You just assume, oh, yeah, of course, I'm a Christian. I'm going to pray. We all know from experience that if we want to devote ourselves to something, it doesn't just happen. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. We don't just happen to run 100 miles and get in shape. We don't just happen to uh, reconcile a relationship. We don't just happen to uh, lose weight in in or get a degree, or any of these things. These things we need to devote ourselves to in order for it to happen. So very practically, if you're not doing this already, and I'm not here to shame you, God's word is not here to shame you. I know there's guilt whenever we talk about prayer. <laughs> I, feel, I feel some conviction. It's like, okay, yes, Lord, this is what I need to do. So I, I know that's here. But today, would you commit yourself to devoting yourselves to prayer? Would you just say, yes, Lord, I'm going to devote myself to prayer? Maybe, like, how can you do that? Well, a a good way to start is just to ask God for his help. You know, you pray to ask God to help you to pray. (laughs) Just admit where you're at. Admit why you don't want to. Admit why this is a struggle and ask God to help. Remember that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Remember that Jesus is right now, interceding for you at the right hand of God. You have help, and you're not alone here. You need God's help to even devote yourself to prayer. So ask God for help. Another thing, very practically, is just, would you just set aside some time during your day to pray? You know, do you drive in a car throughout the day? Don't close your eyes when you do this, but uh, you can pray while your eyes are open while you're driving. Do you get up in the morning? What's the first thing you do? Sometimes people will get their phone out, whatever. Just devote yourself to spending five minutes in prayer right then and there. Or maybe you're a night person, so right before you go to bed, devote yourself to prayer. Just say, yeah, I'm going to do that. That's kind of set aside some specific time. But another thing you can do is just whenever you have a prompting to prayer, whenever, whenever you see a need around you, you can pray right then and there. You don't have to wait. You don't have to go home and, and then pray. You don't have to like work yourself up to pray. You can pray as you are, wherever you are, right then. So just commit yourself to saying, yeah, whenever I have a prompting to pray, I will pray. That's a way to do it. Uh, still another way to do this is to invite others with you to pray. Because this command is to a whole church. So Hope Fellowship, we're called to devote ourselves to prayer. So when you're having other believers over to your home, pray, pray together. When you gather in some way or maybe you hear of a need right after the service you can pray for that person right as you're talking hey can we pray about that situation and we as a church are thinking of ways that we can also do this more corporately even at the beginning of next year how can we gather together and pray seeking the lord together well i realize there are some that are already kind of down the path of devoting yourself to prayer i know we're not all infants in this. So, my encouragement to you if you're there is to help others get on to this path and to continue growing in your devotion. I've never met a believer who said, like, yeah, my prayer life, I'm good. Like, (laughs) I'm just moved on from that. I've never met one because uh, we're called to be constantly in prayer before the Lord. Well, the text then gives us two traits that should be present in us as we do this, as we devote ourselves to prayer. Be watchful and be full of thanksgiving. First, we're called to be watchful in prayer. Literally, that could be translated as staying awake. I love that. (laughs) Have you ever tried to pray at night, like laying down? Sarah and I do that sometimes. At the end of the day, we'll try to pray. It's really hard to stay watchful when you're laying down in a bed trying to pray right before you go to bed. But being watchful doesn't primarily mean just staying awake in prayer, although it does mean that. A lot of us get sleepy whenever we try to pray. Being watchful means that we're alert in prayer, that we're constantly ready to pray. It means that we're alert to what? To the spiritual battle that is launched whenever we pray. Have you ever found when you try to pray, immediately your mind just goes like, man, I got a long thing. I got all these things to do immediately. Or you're just completely distracted. Thoughts are going everywhere. That's not random. Remember what we learned in... uh, 1 Peter 5, it says that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So be watchful. We have a spiritual battle that is unleashed every time we go to pray because the devil and the spiritual forces of evil that we learn in Ephesians 6 knows just how powerful it is when we pray. I've told this illustration to a couple of you, but I, I like it, so I'm going to tell you again. The other day, a number of days ago, I was uh, gonna vacuum in our basement. And I went to vacuum and I turned on the vacuum and I, I started to go like this. And nothing was happening. Just, just, you know, the vacuum was moving, but nothing was getting picked up. No dirt was getting picked up. And I realized I wasn't plugged into the outlet. <laughs> and it sounds funny. It's like, well, of course. like, you need power. But how many of us are living the Christian life turning on a button and trying to move around metaphorically in our Christian life without any power. We're not even plugged in to the power source. We're not even plugged in to the abundant power that is ours in Christ through prayer. It's, it's, uh, it's ridiculous, but it's what we do. But there's a, there's a spiritual battle that goes on whenever we pray. But it's not just out there, it's also in here. We have a battle within our own flesh, our own nature. So remember what Jesus said to Peter when none of them could stay awake. On the night he was betrayed, like, could you not just watch and pray? So he says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation, Matthew 26, 41. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. How many could, I mean, I don't need a show of hands, but how many could relate to that? Yes, spirit's willing, but the flesh, oh man, it's so weak. So don't be discouraged, is the point, when you find it hard to pray. Of course it's hard to pray. You've got a battle raging every time you go to pray. You've got a spiritual battle without. You've got an internal battle within. Of course it's hard. You should be encouraged that it's hard to pray. That means it's that important. Don't be fooled into thinking it's not doing anything. Well, after giving the traits that should be present in prayer, Paul shares some of the content that the Colossians should have in their prayers. You see, he wants them to pray for gospel ministers. And in this case, he's not being selfish, but he is saying, hey, pray for me and for those working with me. So he says in verse 3, At the same time, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison that I might make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So these verses here give us some insight. When we're devoting ourselves to prayer, Pray. what are some things we should be praying about? I'm so amazed at what is missing from Paul's request here. You know, he just kind of says offhandedly, for which I'm in prison. He doesn't say like, hey, pray that I could get out of prison right now. How many of us would that be our first prayer request? I'm in prison, like pray for me to get out. That's not what he prayed for. It shows his heart. What does Paul pray for? He prays for an open door for the message to go forth. He prays for clarity in declaring the message. So what is Paul's message? It's his life mission. It's given to him by God. It's there at the end of verse three, to declare the mystery of Christ. This mystery of Christ is the hope of, of the world. It's the hope for Jews and Gentiles, it's the hope for a slave and free, it's the hope for Americans and Iranians. It's the hope for all of us. He is the only way to be sick. But Paul needs prayers to make this mystery clear. This mystery's been hidden for all of human history and now has been been revealed to Paul and others and now to us. But it's not to be a secret. It's everyone should know this. But he, he needs help in this. It's not for a select few people. God wants this mystery revealed to the entire world. So the question remains, why would this great apostle, you know, he's written at this point probably not yet two-thirds of the New Testament, but now he has, now from our vantage point, why would he need to ask for prayer from these lowly Colossians? You know, they just came to Christ not that long ago. They're kind of being tempted. By these false teachers and stuff. Why does Paul, the mighty teacher, need his pupils to pray for him? Well, because Paul understands the Christian life. There's no tears in Christianity. There's level ground at the cross. And every single one of us, no matter what we're called to do in life, no matter where God has placed us, no matter what gifts we have, we are wholly dependent upon him to do anything of eternal value, anything that will last. And Paul gets this. He knows he needs God's help It's not his great intellect that he learned at the feet of Gamaliel. It's not all the opportunities that just like he's networked, and so he's going to get a good speech in here or there. He needs God to open these doors. He needs God to make this clear, to reveal this message. He was a servant, a steward, an ambassador. So uh, Paul knew where the power came from. And so a quick application for us today is just to pray for your pastors. Pray for me, pray for Jared, pray for Felicity who teaches in women's Bible study and others in the women's Bible study and our Hope kids who are proclaiming the gospel. We we need to pray for open doors for the message as people come and listen to the message here, but also elsewhere as we're proclaiming the gospel. On Fridays, I often ask even some of you in this room, to pray for me as I prepare a sermon. I know that my words are not going to change your life. (laughs) I'm under no illusion that my words will not change your life. But God's word and his spirit through a a fallible person, he can change your life. And so I enlist your prayers. And so I invite you to do that uh, even today and in the months ahead. So pray for your pastors, but also pray for those who are being persecuted for the proclamation of the gospel. Paul says here that he's in prison or in chains because of the message. And today around the world, we are part of a body. When one member suffers, we all suffer. And there are so many around the world right now that are in prison for their faith. They're being persecuted. And we can pray for them. We may not go there. We may not experience that in the West, but we can pray that you can get a resource like Operation World, it's a book. You could pray through a country every day. You could go on the Voice of the Martyrs website and actually pray by name for some people that are imprisoned right now. But that's a, a legitimate application out of this passage here. So, how big picture how do we contribute to gospel advance in our own lives and around the world? It's by devoting ourselves to prayer first. The second way that we can contribute to God's mission of gospel advance is by walking in wisdom toward unbelievers. So look at verse 5. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Here the term outsiders, here and elsewhere, refer to those outside the faith, outside of faith in Jesus. So we call them unbelievers. This command assumes some things. It assumes that we are moving toward unbelievers. Walk in wisdom toward unbelievers. Not like walk in wisdom if you happen to see an unbeliever coming by the road in a random time. No, walk in wisdom toward unbelievers. That means there's strategy involved. It means that we are not called as Christians to stand in a holy huddle or or just kind of gather together and just be afraid as the world is bombarding and we hope we can just kind of have a holy huddle until we get to heaven just all (laughs) together. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to walk in wisdom toward unbelievers. It means we're not to be we are to be strategically pursuing unbelievers with the gospel of Christ. Now, don't get me wrong, this doesn't mean you need to get someone and now they're your project. People know if they're a project. No one wants to be a project. It does mean that, you can be strategic in the way that you live and share your life and faith with those outside of the faith. And we're called to do it. So where does this wisdom for living come? Where does it come from? It comes from Jesus himself. Remember what Paul said back in chapter two, in uh, verse three, when explaining that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and understanding. So if we want to walk in wisdom, we need to be walking with Christ. We need to be getting his insight into how to reach that neighbor, how to reach that family member, and not to do so so they're this project, but to do so because we want to love them and share with them the only hope of salvation, which is Jesus. We need to remember that he is the one who empowers gospel advance. That's the big point of this passage. Well, in the rest of verse 5 and through verse 6, Paul gives us then the posture that we need to take in order to walk in wisdom toward unbelievers. So he says, making the best use of the time, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Here we see that we need to be strategic with our time and with our speech. Our time and our speech. First, our time. Making the best use of the time. This doesn't mean you're good at time management. <laughs> That's not what this is talking about. I love how the Greek dictionary puts it. Another way to, uh, to, to translate it. It says, uh, making the best use of the time. Season with salt. Uh, taking advantage of any opportunity that comes your way. Taking advantage of any opportunity that comes your way. And so I would just stop right there and ask, are you taking advantage of any opportunity that comes your way with unbelievers? Or are you even asking for them, those opportunities? Are you even looking for them? We're we're to make use of every opportunity, making the best use of it well it doesn't necessarily mean then that we're going to share the entire gospel every single day with everyone we're around there are people like that bill bright used to say if i have he's the founder of crew if i have more than five minutes with someone i take that as a prompting for the holy spirit to share the gospel with them so there are evangelists that are called to do that and The Lord bless you if you can do that in any five-minute period uh, to do. But for a lot of us, that's not what it's going to look like. It is going to look like that we're stepping out in faith to look for these opportunities and then acting upon them. We're stepping out in faith in the way that we uh, share when a neighbor goes through something really tragic in their lives or a family member. And we're showing them what does a Christian say? And what does a Christian do for those who are hurting? And it doesn't have to just be hurting. It could be any area of life, how we're dealing with certain issues, all that kind of stuff. But the Lord will provide these opportunities. If we are asking for them, if we are seeking them, he will provide the opportunities. And we need to walk in wisdom as we do so. So we need to make the best use of our time, but second, we have to make the best use of our speech, So in verse six, he says, letting our speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Notice what Paul didn't say here. You know, he he didn't say, let your speech be combative, seasoned with hot sauce. He didn't say, let your speech be aggressive, seasoned with garlic. We're not to offend with our words. We may have the truth, Within us, but we're not to just like hit people over the head with it. We're to be seasoned with salt, gracious. The scholar Doug Moo says that salt in the first century had two functions: to flavor food and to be a preservation agent. You know, we didn't have like refrigeration back then. And so, speech that is seasoned with salt that, that's gracious. It's it's gracious, full of grace. Speech. It's winsome speech. It's attractive speech. It's speech that makes people think. It's, it's people, it's speech that upholds morals that God has called us to in this world. It means that both what we say and how we say it are both very, very important. Because the manner in which we say whatever we're going to say towards unbelievers speaks volumes about the message that we proclaim well why is our speech so important the end of verse six uh continues and says it's because this type of speech helps you how you ought to know how you ought to answer each person so if we're taking advantage of the opportunities god gives us to love and to serve unbelievers and we are asking for these things and we are speaking in ways that are, that's seasoned with salt, we will have opportunities with our speech to speak into lives, to share the gospel at some point. We, we need this foundation. When those opportunities come and that people ask us, we need to know how to answer them. It doesn't mean we need to go to seminary before we can talk to outsiders and unbelievers. It doesn't mean that we have to read every apologetics book to interact, but it does mean that our speech should be seasoned with salt. It should be gracious. It should be Christ-like. We may not know the answer. We can say, you know, that's a great question. I've never thought about that. You're really insightful. Let Let me check on that and get back to you. That would be speech that is gracious, seasoned with salt. We don't have to shame someone when we talk with them. We can treat them as a dignified human being. Well, some marketers like the one-size-fits-all tag to like market certain uh, apparel. I find with hats, they do that a lot, like one-size-fits-all. And I'm thinking, really? Is the same hat that I'm wearing, is that gonna fit my two-year-old son? Like some people's heads are just a bit bigger, (laughs) and some are small. One size does not fit all, in all cases. And here, this verse shows us that the one-size-fits-all approach, when it comes to answering questions about our faith, when it comes to interacting with unbelievers, is not the way to go. Not one-size-fits-all. Don't just have one template. This is what I say to unbelievers. (laughs) Instead, we need to respond, what does it say, to each person as an individual when they ask questions. Again, we don't need to have all the answers, but we do need to answer in ways that are... Gracious, seasoned with salt. We need wisdom in doing it. We need to devote ourselves to prayer as we're doing it. But we can do it with the help of the Lord. Well, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus yet, if you are not a Christian, what we would call an unbeliever, we've been talking about you for a lot of this message. And here, the Bible calls you outsiders. Because you are outside the faith. But the Bible doesn't want you, and God doesn't want you, to remain an outsider. Because Jesus, the Savior of the world, became an outsider so that you might become an insider. The Bible says that he became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. He, He suffered outside the camp so that we might be brought in. And so if you don't know Jesus this morning, and if you are outside the faith, we are so glad you're here. We are uh, just thrilled that you're hearing about the message of Jesus. But Jesus Christ died on the cross for you in your sins. Right now you're an outsider. Right now you are condemned in God's eyes. But you can become an insider by confessing your sins, by trusting in him, and saying, I want to live for you. We're going to see how God is still calling outsiders to be insiders, just even in a few moments as we witness Jimmy's baptism. Just some months ago, Jimmy was an outsider. He was seeking. He was trying to figure it out. And he's going to tell us, how did he become an insider? How did Jesus capture his soul? And friends, God is still in the business of saving souls. Every single one of us has a story. We were all outsiders at one point. Our parents might have shared with us. A friend might have shared with us. We might have gone to college, and someone told us the message of the gospel. So remember that. God is still in the business. He still has people that he is calling to himself right around you. They're in your life. They are around. They're at the grocery store. They're in your family. They are there. And so we need to pray, seek, ask, and, and uh, step out of faith. So as we're closing this section of the passage, I wanna take a moment of self-reflection for us. I want you to ask these questions to yourself. You can write them down or uh, think about them now or later. But first, am I in any meaningful relationship with an outsider, with an unbeliever? A lot of times in the Christian life, we're just like, nope, it's all Christians. <laughs> we don't even talk to anybody else. And we don't even wanna like, talk to at the grocery store. We'll just like pay online or something. So if you're not in any meaningful relationship with an unbeliever, who could you reach out to? Just ask God, who, who has he put in your life? And ask him to put somebody in your life. Second, am I making the most of opportunities that God has right in front of me? Am I actually taking advantage of all these opportunities? Again, ask God to open your eyes to what he's doing. And then third, what is my speech like toward unbelievers? Is it dead silent? Is it just when it comes to spiritual things like nothing? Or is my speech just like them? Do I just kind of chameleon like I've got my Christian speech and then I've got my speech with unbelievers? Or is it seasoned with salt? Is it gracious? How might the Lord grow us, grow you in this type of speech? Well, I hope it's become clear that the Lord must empower us as we seek to walk in wisdom toward outsiders. So now as we close and we're going to sing and then we're going to have this baptism, I want us to remember that God is the one who empowers gospel advance. This isn't just like, do this, do that, do this, do that. No, God's at work. And he invites us into his work. He invites us into a relationship. For most of human history, it's kind of, it's hard to approach a holy God, but now we can approach him in prayer, so devote yourself to prayer. He is saving individuals all around us, and so walk in wisdom towards those outside that are right around, right around you, and ask him to make you part of his work in this world. All of this is for his glory, and so let us thank him as we pray together. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for the privilege that it is that we can, as we sang earlier, carry everything before you in prayer, that we can devote ourselves to prayer. The the fact that we can even speak to the king of the universe is mind-boggling, that you would accept us, that you would listen to us. We can't get an ear with the president of the United States. We can't get an ear with all these other people. But Lord you the most important being in the entire universe we can speak to you and you listen and you answer you love us thank you and lord we thank you that you involve us in your work in saving souls we know that those of us who trust in jesus we are so grateful that we have been saved lord help us to walk in wisdom to those who don't yet know we say that all in the name of Jesus.